We're going to get back into the Gospel of Mark in our series and taking a break over Christmas, Thanksgiving. Yesterday, my basketball team got to play their first game of the season. It's only a short season. It's only for the month of January. But uh, I know that this whole week, just talking to Nathaniel, Nathaniel was all excited about uh, their first game because many of the players on my basketball team have never played basketball before. So we've been going over some of the basic skills of basketball, and and these little guys have just been really encouraged. Um, you know, they've been uh, really learning about how to play basketball, and we still have a lot more things to learn. But uh, I remember this week as I was talking to Nathaniel how excited he was, and as I uh, talked to some other parents yesterday, found out that their kids were the same way. And on Friday, apparently one of my basketball players was talking about it at school, and he was all excited about getting to play his first game of basketball on Saturday. And a little girl came up to him and, and said, uh, you haven't gone to any, somehow she found out he hadn't gone to any practices, and he hadn't. Uh, but she said, well, you're not going to get to play in the game because you haven't been at a practice. And that little boy was just so heartbroken. And I got a call from his mother on Friday afternoon. Is he not going to be able to play? And I said, uh, yeah, I was planning on playing. <laughs> Hope he comes. And she said, but a little girl told him he couldn't do it. And I said, we don't have any girls on our team. I have no idea why in the world, why in the world uh, he would believe what a girl says. But anyway, he went home. Uh, no, I don't mean that as a sexist comment. There's no girls on our team. They wouldn't know. Okay. Whoa, totally taken out of context. Mercy. Wow. But anyway, <laughs> Russell, you're in trouble. Okay. But you know what? As we're following Christ, uh, and we take us and we take a biblical stand for him, or we go and share Christ with others and we say, Jesus is the only way you can be saved, we can sometimes be discredited for taking such a stand. And we can be tempted to take those attacks personally against us. And as we think about missions today, I want you to think about your own uh, witness for Christ, your own testimony for Christ. And are you a silent witness? Or are you sharing Christ? And when you do, I want to encourage you with this reality that you're going to be, there's going to be some opposition to your witness for Christ. When you take a stand for Him, and we have been covering a little bit on Wednesday night about biblical creation and how sometimes uh, and many times uh, Christians are mocked for their stand on a six literal day biblical creation. And people do criticize us for saying that Jesus is the only way. And their comments sometimes are, who do you think you are? What do you, how can you say that? And I want to encourage you with the fact that Jesus faced this same kind of opposition. If you'll look at verse 15, Jesus, He took a stand in the temple. And this is a week before His crucifixion on the cross. And that Monday, He came into Jerusalem. And they come to Jerusalem. And Jesus went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And would not suffer that any man should carry any vessel through the temple. And he taught, saying unto them, It is not written, My house, is it not written, My house shall be called of all nations? 
the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. And the scribes and the chief priests heard it and sought how they might destroy him or ruin him or kill him. For they feared him because all the people was astonished at his doctrine and not at theirs, basically. And when the evening was come, he went out of the city. And I know I've preached on this passage before with the cursing of the fig tree. I'm not going to re-preach that. But this event happened in between the cursing of that fig tree and then the withering of that fig tree the next day. But Jesus went into the temple and He, just to give you the context, He had come down from Bethany, from Mary, Martha, Lazarus. He comes down and there's people waiting for Jesus to come to observe the Passover. And they're looking where He's at. And when they come in, they take these palm branches, and we call it the triumphant entry. The way we celebrate this on Palm Sunday. And they're all excited, and they're saying, He's the King, and they're looking for Him to come in and say, I am the King, I am the Messiah, I am going to set up a kingdom on earth right now. And when He comes in there, the chief priests, they see that. And He sees the corruption in the temple. And He, as the Messiah, as He preached Himself to be, and He claimed that he really was, he went and he saw the corruption of it and he stood against it and he stopped it. And he took a very bold stand for God's Word. And he said in verse 17, Is it not written, didn't God say, My house shall be called of all nations the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves? And did you see the response of the leadership there? Because all the corruption that was going there was feeding the pockets of the high priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees. And they sought to destroy Him because they feared Him because all the people were astonished or amazed at His doctrine. So Jesus took a biblical stand and these leaders, they uh, wanted to confront Him publicly about it. And our passage of Scripture actually is in verses 27 through 33. And we pick up the story there, and it says, And they come again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, there come to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. And they say unto him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you the right or the authority that you should be doing these things, literally? And so they come to discredit him publicly, and they question two things. What gives you the right to be doing this, these things? And who gave, who authenticated what you're doing? Who, who is the teacher that you are going to point to that says, this is alright? Because in their Jewish mind, these teachers, they believed that authority only came from tradition. And if you watch Fiddler on the Roof, you find that very true. I mean, that's a movie that talks about that whole thing. Tradition, tradition. Yeah, you know the song. So anyway, they are talking about tradition. Where does that authority come from? It always comes from a previous teacher teaching a student. And that is where they went to their authority. And so that's where their questions are all going. They're like, how do you have this authority? And who taught you so that we can receive what you're doing? And they're trying to discredit Him. And Jesus... Uh, and, and many people do this the same way. I, I had a modern day illustration of this. As we think about some of the issues that we battle as Christians today. I mentioned evolution, right? I mentioned, I mentioned evolution earlier. 
And like these men, a lot of people say, who do you think you are as Bible thumpers? Okay, Bible-believing Christians. You're not a scientist. What credentials do you have? Where is your master's degree? Where is your PhD? Um, what school, and even if you had those from a, from a great school, like a Christian school, like Lexi goes to, or another good Bible-believing school, even if you had those degrees, their question would be, well, what scientist taught you this? And are they approved by the state? Or are they funded by the state? And so who gave you the right to stand against what we're doing in the temple? Who gives you the right to call what we're doing in the temple sin? And Jesus doesn't argue with them. He doesn't take their attack personally, but He sees it as an opportunity to direct them back to the authority of God. And that's what I want to encourage you today as you're witnessing for Christ. We don't need to go about with the goal in mind of convincing people. We need to go about with the goal of informing people about the truth of God's Word. Because the thing is, is that we can't save anybody. We can't reform anybody. Only God can save a person. And we have to give them the truth of God's Word. We see here that Jesus does this in verses 29 and 30. He says, He answered unto them and said, I will ask you of you one question or literally one thing. And answer me and I will tell you about what authority I do these things. Now this is what He refers to. He says the baptism of John. John the Baptist, you know, the baptism of John. Was it from heaven or was it from men? What does he mean is the ministry of John was his authority in baptizing those people in the Jordan River and other places throughout Israel, was his authority from God or was it from some man somewhere? And we realize as we read the rest of the verses in this passage that such criticism from people comes from a heart that's enslaved by sin. The fact of the matter is, is they are not rejecting Jesus, but they're rejecting the authority of God. They're not rejecting you and me. They're rejecting the authority of God. Sinners don't want to be told what to do. They don't want control. They want control and no accountability whatsoever. However, they're controlled by their own sinful flesh. I want to demonstrate this to you in the rest of the verses here. But we see that Jesus encourages them to humbly trust in God's Word to submit and recognize God's authority and the authority of His Word. He doesn't debate with them. And the same thing is true for you and me, Lexi, as you go out and we go out. We need to inform people that our authority that we speak with comes from the Word of God. It does not come from us. It's not because we came up with this on our own. It's not a personal opinion. It's in the Word of God. And we need to direct them back to the Word of God. And did you notice how Jesus did this? He did this with a question. And I think that's very telling. Because what He's trying to do is to provoke them to think. To think. And I've been talking to one person in the congregation recently that just you know, wants to witness better and it has a real burden for that. And the whole fact of asking good questions for that, you know. And some of the ones that we have discussed, I know he's read about in this book, is what are your spiritual beliefs? What do you believe about Jesus Christ? Maybe if it's someone that you, 
know and you don't want to offend them because you don't want them to think that they're not a Christian, but you're really not sure if they are, ask them, hey, when did you become a Christian? Questions are always a good way, and I think we should follow the example of Christ here. And when he does this, he reveals how enslaved these uh, Jewish leaders really were. And he mentions the baptism of John because the message of Jesus and John was exactly the same. And the authority of of John and Jesus was exactly the same. The Word of God. Jesus is the Savior. You need to turn from your sin and trust in Him was basically the message of John the Baptist. He would be there, and and you can look at this in Luke chapter 3, and also John chapter 1, and Matthew chapter 3. It's in all the, it's in all the Gospels, and, uh, pretty much. And you can look at John the Baptist's ministry, and he, pre- he preached a baptism of repentance. That means to turn from sin and turn towards God. He also said in John chapter 1, verse 29, when Jesus came to him, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sins of the world. His ministry was preparing the people to turn away from their sin and to turn towards Christ. And that's exactly what you and I need to do. And when we do that, we're going to be attacked for it. But what enslaves these Jewish leaders from trusting Jesus? What keeps and blinds the people that attack us sometimes for taking a stand on the Bible or sharing that Jesus only can save? What is blinding them from the truth? Look at verse 31 quickly. It says, And they reasoned with themselves. They basically accumulated a bunch of arguments in their own minds, saying, Well, if we will say from heaven, Jesus will say, Why then did you not believe him? See, the fact of the matter is, is that John the Baptist preached against the corruption in the temple. He said, he, when they came out to him in Luke chapter 3, he said, oh, generation of vipers. Do you want to be called that on a Sunday morning? <laughs> I mean, he, he approached them, oh, generation of vipers. Oh, nation and group of people that are deceitful. He says, you need to respond with fruits that are consistent with repentance, basically, is what he says. You need to repent of these sins. And he did that to the people, but he also did it to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these chief priests, elders, and scribes. That's what these groups are, the same group of people, these leaders that came out to him. And he preached that they would repent and turn away from their sin and turn towards Christ. And he preached judgment against their sins in Matthew chapter 3, verses 7 through 10. In Matthew chapter 3, he also said, Do not trust in your ancestry in Abraham. Because God can raise children from these stones. And if you remember that passage of Scripture. So he's saying, don't trust in your religious heritage. But you have to trust in this Messiah that's coming alone. And these leaders rejected the authority of John's message the same way they are rejecting the authority of Jesus Christ in the same way they do it towards you and me. The fact of the matter is, is not that we don't have the authority. It's that they have the wrong relationship with God. They have a rebellious relationship towards God and an and a unbelieving relationship towards His Word. And we see in verse 31 that the reason why they do not respond to His convicting question and they don't tell the truth and they're enslaved by their shame. They say in verse 31, 
If we say from God, Jesus will say, then why then you do not believe John if he came preaching with the authority of God? They were ashamed for their rebellion. They were ashamed for their unbelief. And you know, shame is a very powerful thing. We've talked about this in Sunday school, that God has uh, given us a conscience and He uses shame to bring conviction in our life that we might either trust in Him for salvation or if we're a Christian out of fellowship, we'll come back to Him for forgiveness and cleansing from sin. Shame affects people physically. It gives them indigestion. They lose sleep over uh, the shame and the guilt in their life. It affects them emotionally. They deal with anxiety. Whether, oh, I wonder if someone's going to find out what I really am or what I really did. Or, and they actually sometimes uh, become hopeless and depressed and deal with depression. Shame also affects us spiritually because as a Christian, we're not walking with Christ and so we're not going to be bearing fruit for Him. But also as unbelievers, we carry guilt, we're hopeless and have no peace. And shame is designed to bring a response to the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And these Jewish leaders were being blinded and enslaved by shame because they weren't willing to respond to the shame in their heart. Second of all, verse 32, fear keeps the, the lost from trusting in Christ. It says, but if we shall say of men, they've, and that's really what they believed. They believed it was a, a human thing that John was doing, that it was on, of his own making. And that's truly what they believed. But they feared the people, verse 32 says, for all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. And so these were politicians. Uh, these Sadducees that were the chief priests, they had been given their power from Rome. And they did not want to lose that power. And they did not want someone to cause an uprising that would cause them to lose that power. And they wanted the people to respect their authority. And so they saw Jesus as a threat. And they were afraid to admit what they truly believed because it would go contrary to public opinion. Politicians still do that today, don't they? Uh, leaders that are, religious leaders still do that today. That they conform to the culture instead of going and conform or being transformed and by the renewing of their mind by Scripture and what the Word of God says. Because they're afraid of what men may say. And these, uh, we see in verse 32 that these men were not sincerely looking for the truth, but they were actually just seeking power and maintaining a position and popularity among the people. Uh, shame, fear, and pride is the last thing that keeps people, a common, common three things that keep people from trusting in Christ. And then you, excuse me, let me get the words out. Verse 33 says, And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. Was that the truth? Actually, that literally says, We don't know. They claim to be ignoramuses. I'm ignorant. I don't really know. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now some people may think, well Jesus, oh, well, Jesus had an opportunity to tell them. But what He does here is He says, you need to accept the truth of God that you have been given. And if you are not willing to accept the truth of God and the evidence in creation, I'm going kind of beyond into what our day is today, but the evidence in creation 
and also the revealed Word of God that we have received, if that is not good enough for you, nothing is going to be good enough for you because you are not willing to humble yourself and trust in the authority of God's Word. You're not willing to humble yourself and submit to God's authority in your life. You're wanting to reject God's Word because you want to live life the way you want to. You want to trust in yourself, your works, your self-righteousness in order to get you to heaven. And Jesus preached against that and, sh- and showed that they, were, they had fallen far short of the glory of God. Those who resist our witness for Christ are not attacking us. They're attacking the authority of God. They're enslaved to their own sinful hearts. And so don't take their attacks personal. Don't argue with them, but encourage them to humbly trust in God's revealed truth like Jesus did. You are not called to convince people that they're sinners. You're called to inform people that they're sinners by sharing with them the Word of God. Urge them to turn from their shame, their fear and their pride, and trust in Jesus alone. Point them back to the authority of God's Word. I want to encourage you, if you have become a silent witness because maybe you did share your faith at work with your family, and maybe it didn't go so well, and they responded in a very cynical critical, (laughs) judgmental way, actually, is what they accuse us of being. Um, And you've, you've stopped witnessing for Christ. Let me encourage you with this truth. Their attack against you was really an attack against the authority of God. And I want to encourage you to continue to witness for Christ and don't allow those kind of attacks to hold you back because you need to see these sinners in their real condition. They need the compassion of God. They still need to be saved from God because their hearts are enslaved to shame, pride, and fear. And they need to be saved from their sin. And we need to encourage them to get back to the Word of God and sharing the Word of God when we witness. Have you given up on witnessing for Christ? Get into the Word of God. Get equipped and be sharing the Word of God with people. Don't point back to your own authority, but point to your authority as coming from God. With every head bowed and eyes closed, I want to ask you just to search your own heart this morning. Maybe the Lord's worked in your heart about something Lexi said or was in the video or maybe something I preached about this morning. I want to ask you as the Jessica plays a number from our hymn book, just to respond to the Lord there in your seat. We're not going to have a come forward invitation. But I encourage you about the great commission that Jesus has given us to go into all the world and preach the gospel. It's been rightly called the great omission because we omit that responsibility we've been given. Maybe because we've been hurt. Maybe because of personal bitterness. Maybe because of a lack of confidence. Those are no excuses. Because we see here that Those attacks may be against you. We're really attacks against God. Don't allow them to hold you back. Be prepared. Get in the Word of God. And go out and share the message of Christ, the Word of Christ from the the Scriptures, not from your personal opinion. Maybe you need to decide, hey, I need to get in God's Word this year. 
I want to encourage you to do that and commit yourself to getting in the Word of God in some form or fashion. Maybe you need to become more faithful to church where you hear the Word of God preached, Sunday school where you hear it taught. Let's do something. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Are you ready to change? Are you ready to do something different? Are you ready to live for Christ as a witness and as a servant of His? You respond to Him there in your seat. Maybe if you're here and you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, I want to tell you that He died on the cross for your sins. You don't have to work for your salvation. All you have to do is trust in Him alone and what He did on the cross for salvation. And he does, he does everything else. All you have to do is accept a gift by faith. And He'll change your life from the inside out. If He wants to save you, you don't have to save yourself. Are you willing to just humble yourself and trust in Him? You can do that in your seat. Let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before You and we thank You that You have preserved Your Word for us and given us testimonies and uh, of, of the Lord Jesus Christ and how He handled different trials uh, that came towards Him. And We're so thankful that He is the author and finisher of our faith. And as we look towards Christ, we see that He faced, he faced the same temptations, the same trials, the same opposition that we face today. Help us, Lord, not to become hopeless. Help us, Lord, not to think that we're all by ourselves. Help us to look to Christ. Help us, Lord, to follow Him, to imitate Him, to be conformed more to His image. Lord, that we would respond to the enemies of the cross the same way He did, pointing them back to Scripture, asking them thought-provoking questions, helping them see that they're accountable to a holy God and that His Word is the same as it was yesterday, today, and it will always be forever. Help us, Lord, to always go back to the authority of God's Word as we witness for Christ and we take stands for Him. Help us, Lord, to be faithful this week as we have opportunities to share Christ. Pray that You would give us boldness, confidence, opportunity, and, Lord, convict us where we are unfaithful. Help us to be more faithful to You. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.